What's the difference between Tom Brady and Desmond Howard and Michael Phelps and everyone else? Well, they're coachable. (laughs) They're hungry and they're humble. You have to be humble to learn from someone else. The hardest people to teach are smart people. The smarter they are, the more money they have, the more power and influence they have, it's harder to teach them. Welcome to Wisdom, Wealth, and Wellness, a podcast on overcoming behavioral biases and blind spots. Sponsored by Satofsky Asset Management, and this is Jonathan Satofsky. Today, I am I'm so fired up, I can't really contain myself. I'm trying to keep my emotions calm, trying to keep myself together. I'm here with a living legend, life coach, motivational speaker, executive coach, the author of a new book, Sane in an Insane World, Controlling the Controllables, Greg Harden. He's been the executive consultant, best known for his work with seven-time Super Bowl champ quarterback Tom Brady, Heisman Trophy winner and Super Bowl MVP Desmond Howard, 23-time Olympic gold medalist Michael Phelps, many, many more people that you haven't heard of that he's touched their lives, including myself. So I just, uh, I don't even know what to say, but I'm going to start off by just saying thanks for, thanks for showing up. Thanks for showing up, Greg. Oh, John, you know, it's a thrill to be in your presence anytime. uh, And I'm just excited for this chance to chat with you and your people. So I got so many questions. I don't even know where to start, but, but when we were, when we were talking about this, you were like, you know, let's, let's blow up a traditional format. You know, I, I like to talk a lot about um, you know, instead of people searching the world, the world wide web, they're searching for one of three things, wisdom, wealth, or wellness, one of those three things. <clears throat> and I imagine that when people come sit in that chair, the famous chair, they think they're coming for, for one thing and they end up getting something else. So maybe we <clears throat> can start with, tell us like, tell us a little bit of the, 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 the beauty of Greg. How did you even... How do you tap in? How do you tap in to like just get at the heart of it and punch someone in the eyes in a care? I say carefrontational way, but you you extract from something 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 that people have never seen before. Well, John, I, I think I understand your question. The bottom line is that people will walk in and they're interested in talking about uh, their coach or they're talking about their boss, uh, their employees. And what you end up talking about to them is how important it is for them to focus, refocus, and think about what's important to them. It, you, you try to get them to begin to see that uh, if you're trying to become a better athlete, I have to convince you that you want to become a better person, a better human being. I have to convince you that if you want to be physically fit, you have to be mentally and spiritually fit. I have to convince somebody that instead of thinking about what's not working, they've got to look at what can they control. You can control so many things. For example, I'll give you a concrete sports example. Uh, my coach doesn't like me. My coach, he, he, he doesn't give me the right amount of playing time. My coach doesn't listen to me. Boom, 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 boom. Okay. So how old is your coach? Huh? How old is your coach? 
uh, 45, 50 years old? I said, so what's the likelihood of your coach changing? Hmm. Uh, it's not likely. So what are your options? And many people instantly say, well, the only thing I can control is how I, how I respond, how I, and that's where we're trying to go. John, we're constantly trying to get people to control what's under their ability to control. Not, I can't control my coach. I can't control my teammates. I can't control my employees. I can't control my family, my kids. What I can control is my response and how I view and interpret what's going on. So, so it's interesting you say that because I had a conversation this morning with a guy who, uh, you know, being in finance, people like to talk to me about money. He's like, you know, it's the first time ever that bonds are going to outperform stocks over the next 30 years. And I said, who told you that? He goes, oh, the Wall Street Journal. I said, let me <laughs> hold on a second. I said, listen, I believe in evidence, but let's just frame what you're saying for a minute. You may or may not realize, but at this moment in time, it happens to be that you're in the populace, the vast majority of the population actually would agree with you by way of how people are allocated. For the first time since the global financial crisis, more people are geared toward bonds over stocks. So you're in the consensus. The question is, are you in the consensus because you're thinking for yourself or are you in the consensus because you want to go along with the way everyone else is thinking? Look, that particular example is great because what if we're talking about um, lifestyle? What if we're talking about drinking? What if I'm an executive and, and we always have to go out and we always go out and we always drink and that's how we decompress? Is that what you need to do? Or is that what your group, is that group think? So you have to be so committed to becoming the world's greatest expert on one subject, you. What, what I try to teach anyone that will listen, John, is I'm trying to get them to become the world's greatest expert on themselves, to know what's working and what's not working in their lives. And that takes a lot more than people think it does. So t teaching people how to examine uh, 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 their attitudes, examining their behavior, trying to decide what attitudes to keep, what attitudes to change, what attitudes to erase, what behaviors do I need to keep? What friends do I need to keep? I need to be able to distinguish as quickly as possible what people, the people who are building me up, encouraging me, who are setting me up to be successful, and those people who are maybe not intentionally, who may mean no harm, but they're harmful in the ways that they act, the ways that they talk, the ways that they think. You know is what it, I'm saying. Is it easier? Well, I, I have two questions to follow up to that, because actually this guy I was speaking to was like, why am I doing, he was talking about something else than toggle the conversation. He said, well, well, I'm thinking about what my mom may think or what my, what my, you know, what my kids may think. What I'm like, why do you care what anyone else thinks? You know, <laughs> I, I, why, how can you really understand what you think from the inside out? Like, how do you get to that? So I wonder whether you find it easier with 18 to 22 year old athletes or because they have, uh, they're more open-minded perhaps, 
Or when someone's older, like you're talking to an executive, a CEO, <laughs> like who's like 50 and says, wait a second, I got to uncode 50 years of learning of whatever I was coded, whatever improper programming by society, by my parents, by my friends, by my, by influencing of I'm trying to show up to please everyone else versus really getting to know myself to un unwind all that. So is it easier when someone's younger or is there just a trigger point where it's something happens to happen in someone's life for them to be open to like reevaluating all the people they're surrounding themselves by? Very good, John. At first you were talking about what age difference and then you'd switch to, is it at a certain time that somebody yeah. is open and ready to learn? You yeah. can be 18 years old and no one can tell you a thing. You can be 58 years old and, and open and ready to learn. Talking yeah. about you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You can teach an old dog anything they want to learn. Right. So there are times in, in life where it is it may appear to be easier to talk to a younger person, but it's not necessarily true. So we don't want to deal in, 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 in a fantasy of which one's easier. Individual difference, the time of life that it is, what just happened, it's going to trigger my ability to learn, to be open, to be committed. And so uh, it's, it's, you can't predict it. That's like the, that's like the saying where it says, you know, when the, when the student is ready, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Yes, sir. That's exactly what it means because I can be that guy who has a lot of information. It doesn't matter what I know. What matters is what you're ready for and what you will listen to, what you've been trained, how you've been trained to learn. And so, uh, I don't care how good your coach is. If you're not coachable, okay, what's the difference between Tom Brady and Desmond Howard and Michael Phelps and everyone else? Well, they're coachable. Amazing. <laughs> they're hungry and they're humble. You have to be humble to learn from someone else. The hardest people to teach are smart people. The smarter they are, the more money they have, the more power and influence they have, it's harder to teach them. Do you ascribe the idea? I, f I feel like, like at least my witnessing from afar, someone like Tom Brady, you know, uh, has a, has something that I've always picked up on: the opportunity to to learn from every scenario and every person and every situation, because there is no two situations the same or no two people the same. So when you say about a smart person not being able to learn, like, oh, why do I want to spend time with this person? There's nothing to learn. I always thought like everyone you meet, there's something to learn. It could be good. It could be bad. How do I want to show up? How do I not want to show up? You know? So is it, is it just some people are wired that way or is it possible when people are stubborn and stuck and you want to help them, but they're not ready to be helped. It just some type of trigger point needs to get, you know, a switch needs to go off somehow, you know? Yeah. Well, what it boils down to is what kind of questions do you ask them? What it boils down to is getting them to a space in their own mind where they, they have to figure it out. It, do I need to make some changes? And they have to figure it out. You remember, you've had people in your life who were experts on everything and could tell you what you need to do and how you need to think and where you need to go and why you should do it this way. You made no changes, John. I made no changes, John, until I decided to change, until I saw it. So you have to give people an opportunity 
to examine what's working and what's not working. You've got to keep it that simple. If uh, if uh, the way that you're managing money is working, by all means, continue. If the way that you're managing your money is not working, what can we do differently? Right. How do we create a system design architecture to enable you to chill? Yes. So relax, enjoy your life. You know, like you want to have freedom. You want to create a system and a structure and support so that you can have freedom. You made me think about something when you were just speaking. Cause I always, everyone's like, oh, we're going to have on, you know, Jonathan Satovsky an expert in financial planning and wealth management. Let's have him talk about what, whether interest rates are going up or down or whether markets are going up or down. And I'm like, I always heard that quote, like the Zen quote, you know, in the expert's mind, there's few possibilities. In the beginner's mind, there's infinite. Think about it. Uh, let's, let, let's look at um, throwing a Frisbee. How do you segue into that? You ready? So think about riding a bike. Remember when you learned to ride a bike four, five, six, seven years old? Now people uh, have e-bikes. They don't need to learn. They just hit go, you know? Hey. Well, what you remember is that you fail a lot. Yeah. That it was you didn't just get on the bike and ride. You yeah. fail and you got back on and you kept going and kept going. But what we discover is that the older you get, the more you worry about what everyone else thinks. Let's talk about learning to throw a frisbee, catch a frisbee. When, if I'm seven, eight, nine, ten years old, I'm going to keep going until I get it. But if you're 15 up, uh, I might keep. But if I'm 25 years old and someone throws a Frisbee and it lands at my feet and I've never thrown a Frisbee before, I'm going to pick it up and carry it over to them <laughs> because That's I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to be uh, 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 I don't want to look bad. I don't want to seem stupid. I don't. So surrendering the ego is required in order to learn. So it's fascinating what you just struck on. You, you, so I, my son's an artist, really creative soul. And, and I remember this where they would say, when they ask kindergartners, who's an artist, everybody's hand will go up. Yes. And by fifth grade, when they ask who's an artist, most people's hands are not up. Maybe one or two people's hands are going up. Mm -hmm. And generally, it's more tendency toward women's hand going up. By seventh or eighth grade, no, certainly one out of 100 guys are going to raise their hand. My son's been raising his hand as an artist. I believe, and I imagine you do as a coach as well, that everyone has some artistic ability. Their artistic expression may not be the way, as you said, what their peers perceive to be an artistic expression. They just have to discover their own self-expression that is artistic and, and let it flourish without worrying about what other people are going to think of that expression. Is that a fair way to think about it? I think so. I mean, remember earlier we talked about age. And remember I started talking about the 25, 30-year-old guy who, who the Frisbee lands at their feet? But there's another 30-year-old guy who couldn't wait to, to throw it, who— <laughs> Who got like, right. oh, what's this, a Frisbee? How do you throw it? And and they're curious and they're hungry. Hungry, but humble. Yeah. That's the difference between some high-performance individuals and people who only can go so far. They, when you're hungry, you're eager to learn. When you're desperate to learn, 
it's a whole nother ball game when you're humble enough to take advice and consider it. You don't have to do what I'm, I'm telling you to do or what I'm thinking you should do, but you have to consider it. I have to consider what you're going to tell me about uh, managing my money. I, I, I don't have to do what you said, but if I'm not open enough to just consider it, and that's right. all I ask anybody that comes into my office, just consider what I'm saying. Right. So let me let me toggle a moment and uh, and go go to the book because I think even the title just is 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 timeless. It's it's perfectly timeless. Tell us about the book and 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 how because obviously people know you as a sports guru, but the truth is, I think I'd like to hand it out to everyone I know. I think everyone, young, old, athlete, non-athlete, I think everyone would benefit. But I'm just curious. What inspired you to write it? You know, what would you like, you know, who would you like to read it? Who would you, what would you like people to extract from it? And I think not to front run your, your answer, but I, I think everyone's going to get something different out of it based on what's going to resonate for them. But there's so much in there. There's so much in there, so many stories, so much depth. I just, I'm just curious what inspired you to get, get after it, put it out there, you know, and uh, what, what you, what you'd like people to extract from it. Well, let's let's take some of your questions apart. Let's go all the way back to how I am sometimes pigeonholed into being the sports guru. Uh, let me tell you what I brought to sports. My first client was a, <laughs> the medical school where I was engaged in trying to bring personal development to a group of, of young people who were trying to qualify to be medical students. My second client was the College of Engineering, <laughs> and I began to work with a whole cast of characters who are all over the, the United States and the world who are engineers and doctors. Mm. And I took what I did with that group to athletics. Mm. I didn't take what I got from athletics to engineering. I, I took what I was training and teaching people to, to do in a different settings. So what I would like for people to get is an opportunity to, to look at what does it mean to be happy, healthy, and sane? Because Ooh. if I got all the money in the world and I don't like myself, if I've got all this power and influence, cause you all, we all know people who on, on the surface look like they have it all, but they're not right. happy. They're right. miserable, negative, and depressed. They're sometimes willing to take their own lives. Be and we've got all kinds of stories like that. So what I'm trying to introduce to anyone that will listen is how important it is to become the world's greatest expert on one subject. And that's to know your own baggage, know your own thrills, what gets you excited, what will, what will make you just think that it's bloody great to be alive. But you have to first, un you've got to, it's so much baggage that we carry. There's so much trauma and grief that we've endured if we're human. But there's so much joy and so much excitement and so many moments that we can look at. But if we're always looking at the refrigerator half empty instead of half full, we're at a disadvantage. I'm obsessed with trying to teach people how to control what they can control and not be obsessed with trying to uh, fix and control everything else to practice, train, and rehearse, given 100%, 100% of the time. 
which is really something I get excited about, trying to teach people to give 100% at everything they do. Well, if I'm real honest, is that possible? Hell no. (laughs) I can't give 100%, 100% of the time. But if that is my default mode, if that's how my foundation is, if I'm obsessed with trying to give 100%, 100% of the time, Brother, my worst day is going to be better than the average man's best day. Bam! Love it. I love it. I love it. Actually, I did a, I did a eulogy with some CEOs a couple of weeks ago, and I was laying down, and they said, what I admire about you is, and they recorded all the people saying, they actually said I give 100%, 100% of the time. So I was, I, I'm at least giving the effort. They're, they're appreciating the effort, nonetheless. So it's pretty cool. But no, I, uh, I love it. I, you know, uh, there's a book that my, another book, my kids were forced to read and they had the parents read when my daughter was in seventh grade called excellent sheep. And it said something to the tune that, uh, the vast majority of students when they're graduating college, this was from Yale. They, they, they went in with an artistic, you know, uh, bend and they ended up going into management consulting or investment banking or whatever it is. And they did what the, 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 the peer pressure of their parents, the teachers and their peers, so when you when you tap into that and you get someone to be falling in love with themselves and knowing what how to extract the joy, I don't know you know uh, what your anecdotal experience is like. How many people are living the life that other people expected them versus the life that they want to live from their authentic selves? What what, well, what do you what do you think about that? Well, I mean, let's be be we're 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 oversimplifying, we're overgeneralizing, and we're yeah. having a good time doing it. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Yeah, just for fun, for shits and giggles, you know. The average person is preoccupied about preoccupied with what everyone else thinks about them, right. and they're they're so naive that they really think that people are thinking about them. They're right. thinking about how many people are thinking about them. <laughs> so it's a cycle. It's a crazy, insane cycle. I wonder what cycle. they're thinking. And they're wondering what I'm thinking, and we're all preoccupied with not being authentic, but trying to satisfy and please everybody else. And so at a certain (laughs) point, you've got to be daring enough to be different. You've got to be daring enough to say, hey, look, this is is a true story, John. I'm I'm working with a lacrosse team, right? And I give this, uh, I got an hour and a half to talk to them. And we're doing these things, and I'm introducing them to all kinds of, of sayings and, and, and ideas, and, 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 and I share with them how important it is to pursue self-love and self-acceptance. Yeah. And so I give them a chance to articulate what it would mean uh, if they understood simple formulas. Like, remember Rudyard Kipling's If? If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can my, trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowances for their doubting too, if you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies. So I had them examine this, and I had the team come back in small groups and interpret different stanzas, different paragraphs, etc. So they go through this piece, and like, I mean, we're all happy and we're having a great time. And I said, look, I just want to be honest with you guys and don't tell anybody I talk like this, but I just want to tell you, now I told you about how important self-love and self-acceptance is approving of yourself, 
But I have to be honest with you. I really hope you guys like my presentation. I, I hope you approved of what I did for you. I hope that you will accept me. I, I, I just crave, and I, I, I know I have a longing for your approval. But if I don't get it, I really don't give a damn. <laughs> and they cried. They laughed so hard because they got it. I see. if you don't get anything else, understand, of course we want the approval of others. But we cannot be burdened by it. We cannot be overwhelmed by it. We cannot yeah. be preoccupied with it. I hope you like me, but if you don't, I'm okay. I, I'm I did, get... Hey, I put it out there. <laughs> you don't like it. Let's get back to sports for a minute, because I, I and then and then I really I want to talk about how you and I met. But what's interesting about sports that I always found fascinating, and and I love sports growing up. I always wanted to. I, I never told you this actually, but I uh, I was asked to walk onto the baseball team at the University of Michigan. But I was too afraid. Oh, I was too afraid. I was like, you know what? It's cold. I'm from Florida. Ah, I'm not going to make it anyway. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do something else. But I love sports. I would, I was contemplating being a sports broadcaster, playing football. Like I played every day. I loved it. But what's what? What I heard, I saw a stat recently that said 95 percent of Forbes CEOs play college sports. Wow, that's true. That's amazing. And and I imagine that that there's something. I know this isn't really the topic of coaching or whatever, but there's something about athletes that learn about my perception is discipline, coachability. What you said, you know, the lessons of teamwork. I mean, there's just it's such a beautiful thing. And I just, you know, I want to give a shout out to sports in general as to the importance in childhood growth and development. And I imagine you you must have an inkling of feeling the same to some degree. Look, I am thrilled to talk about what amazing employees, <laughs> because uh, I, I think the best NC2A commercial that ever was, was that everyone's going to be a pro in something and, and, and it's not going to be sports. Right. <laughs> but when you get a, a chance to interview like four or five people and you're ready to make a deal and close a deal and get somebody and hire them, Nine times out of 10, you're going to look at that person who had a sports background. You're going to get somebody that understands working together, yeah, working as a, as a, a, in a group. And one of the biggest problems with organizations, if I can segue a bit, is that they start talking about, you know, this is so-and-so, this is, this is so-and-so's team, and this is a, we're a team. No, they're a group. And yeah. becoming a team takes more than just having four or five people in a room and, and trying to get them to work on a project together. If you're going to have a team in your organization, you've got to build a team. You've got to have a, a commitment to a, a, a set of values and, and, and norms that you're going to reinforce. You're going to have to have some like-minded ideas. And so building a team is what many organizations need to invest more time and energy in instead of just calling someone a team because they're a group. But I, I segue, but I'm going to tell you some of the, the leaders that you see in this world really do have sports background. It doesn't mean that someone who doesn't have a sports background can't be an amazing leader, but we increase the chances 
of them being somebody that gets it, who can push a team, who can get more out of more people. Think about what a coach really does. A great coach is someone who can get more out of you than you think you've gotten yourself. Brilliant. Brilliant. I love it. You know, I, I was just hearing something about uh, some of, whether it's John Wooden or, or even Bobby Knight, the diligence of their, of their, of their, passion for learning or Mike Krzyzewski, you know, the basketball coach. Anyway. All right. I want to, I want to, I want to uh, wrap up with uh, maybe you could just for, for, for the sake of, you know, just a little fun. Uh, you know, we talked about the idea of how, how we met, you know, I, I, I was, uh, I was so excited. Uh, you know, my story might be slightly different than yours, but, uh, but, uh, but I met you uh, a number of years ago, maybe about, you know, five to 10 years ago. And, uh, and, and I, I, I'd love to hear your perspective on it because my perspective was like, I was like a kid in the candy store. So excited to meet this guy that it was like, Oh my God, I get an opportunity to meet Greg Harden. You know, I've been involved with the university, with the athletics, you know, it's like, I bleed maize and blue born, born in Ann Arbor. And I had an opportunity to meet what I considered, you know, a, a legend in, in, in the organization and the impact and influence on me and everyone in the organization and the and the culture and the community of uh, of Michigan. So I, I just I love the story how you how you frame it how we met. You know. Well, this very kind and you're very generous uh, with the fantasy that I'm a legend, <laughs> but I appreciate it and, and 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 I'm humbled by the idea. But all I remember, John, is that I, we were at uh, the Chop House. In the in the in the basement, and and it, the next day was going to be the, a big game, and you were a special guest as a donor, and uh, I was standing around chatting with some folks, and there was this presence behind me, and it just you know didn't move, and so being a brother from Detroit, I'm critically aware of the fact that there's a presence behind me. But I didn't feel threatened by it, but it was still a presence behind me, just standing. And so I assumed that maybe he was waiting for the opportunity to step in. So I elected to turn around and and you said, hey, I'm I'm, I'm John Sotowski and you're, I'm one of your mentees. And I says, well, how exciting is that? <laughs> I've never met you before. <laughs> And you went on and you shared with me something I'll never forget. You told me that I had been influencing you for years and that you had never met me. And you talk about a magic moment. You went on to talk about uh, some of the lessons you had learned. And uh, uh, John, I, you know, at that moment, you found a way straight into my heart because you truly believe that what I was talking about was more than bloody sports. So imagine trying to teach. Uh, I mean, people get, tend to be fascinated with the big dog. So let's talk about Tom Brady for one second. Tom Brady uh, was a guy who's like 19 years old, comes into my office and he's real clear that he wants some support. He saw what Desmond and I did. And he says, I want some of that. And we went on to talk, and he was the guy talking about the coaches, and they didn't believe in him. And I looked at Tom Brady, who was a kid, and says, well, Tom, why should they believe in you if you don't believe in yourself? You're hurt. I say, first off, I'm going to give you the most difficult lesson you'll ever get in your life. He says, all right. 
I say, first, you've got to begin to train yourself to believe with or without football. Your life is going to be amazing. I said, so what is, what am I saying, Tom? John, Tom Brady looks at me and says, clearly you're saying that if I believe that my life is going to be amazing with or without football, it takes the pressure off of football. And it becomes something that I do and not who I am. I said, that's it. It's, Can you it, imagine? It's such this... a fast. It's such a fascinating story. I, 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 I got in just a brief little quick anecdote about my. I got into finance not because I like dreamed. Oh my god, it's going to be the greatest thing in the world. I'm like, they don't teach it to high school and college kids. So I'm like, I got to really learn this because someday I might have money. I, I want to know what to do. And then I realized everyone has this money stress and anxiety. So what I realized very quickly is if I can take off that pressure, the same way you just said, take off the pressure of Tom playing football. If I could take off the financial pressure and burdens of what people think they have to do to get to what they want to do to pursue their joy, man, you see people flourish. You see their body language change. You see their lives change. You see them make a lot more money because it wasn't about the money. It's about showing up with joy and enthusiasm, which is the way... Tom plays football, which is the way that, you know, you get someone, their swagger, swagger back. They, they might've had it, but somehow they get deterred or blocked or lost and you got them their swagger back. So I, I'll, I'll finish on this one last thought. Cause I, it's been wrestling in my mind. It was Albert, uh, Ma Rabian, the researcher of body language first, first broke down the components of face-to-face conversation. He found that communication is 55% nonverbal. 38% vocal and 7% words. So that means that 93%, 55 plus 38 of communication is body language and tone of voice. And you think about that, that, yeah, you could fake that, but it's got to come from the inside out. And that emits a certain energy like pheromones where the people, wait a second, he, the way he's showing up, that's just, there's something magnetic about the way he's showing up. Let me give this guy a shot, you know, in whatever <laughs> part of the world that they're, they're showing up. So I give you just immense gratitude and thanks for showing up for me whenever I pick up the phone and, and for showing up for this, uh, this conversation. And how, how do people find you? How do people find the book? How do people tap into sane in an insane world? I think it's August 15th, 2023, but where can they find it? It's going to drop uh, August 15th, but pre-sales, uh, pre-orders is the name of the game I'm learning because I didn't know much about how uh, well, I've never been a author and trying to uh, promote a book. Yeah. But you can go to Amazon. You can go to Apple. Uh, you can go to all kinds of, of venues on the Internet and pull up my name, and you can put in uh, uh, Greg Harden. Sane in an insane world, and it will it will come. Uh, you've got to look at the trailer that is produced by Shane Salerno, who is my business partner and an unbelievable star uh, that's produced a, a trailer that would make anyone get it uh, in terms of really understanding where we're trying to go. But this book, I'm confident, is going to change lives. It's going to give people an opportunity to rethink some things, 
It tells stories. That's all I'm doing is telling stories. I'm not trying. You can make them a millionaire. I can only make them comfortable in the skin they're in. That's all I'm trying to do, to get them to begin to realize that you, if your life is going to work, it's going to be because of you. Well, thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for showing up for all the people you shop for. And again, I can't recommend this book more highly. Thanks for, uh, for, uh, for taking part. And, uh, and anyone that reads it is never, is not going to be disappointed. Uh, thanks, Greg. Um, <laughs> see that? I love it. There hey, it is. There it is. Well, no, thanks, John. I really appreciate you and all that you do and your commitment to uh, helping me promote a book, which is something I've never done before, is truly valued and appreciated. But thank you for being you and stay who you are. Hey, I I, I can only be me. Everyone else is taken, you know. <laughs> Thank you.